Good morning, church. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're in the sermon series entitled Elisha and Jesus. And throughout this sermon series, we're talking about what it means to live a called life. We're looking at the calling of Elisha the prophet and asking the question, what does it look like to live a called life? So our passage is in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and we'll just read the first seven verses of chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he has revered, that he has revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. And Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what is it you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except just a little bit of oil. And Elisha said, Go around. And ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all of the jars. And as each one is filled, put one to the side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. She kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, will you bring me another one? And he said, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil, pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on whatever is left. Let's pray. Father, I'm just... Uh, Grateful to be here, to be able to worship your almighty and powerful name. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory that we can give you. We gather this morning to celebrate your son, Jesus Christ, to worship together. I pray that you'll grow our bonds of fellowship. And we pray that as we study your word, that you're that your spirit will open up our hearts and our minds, our eyes to your truth. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On September 22, 2022, John Davis fraudulently obtained and misused federal funds including the funds of two programs, one being the Temporary Assistant for Needing Families, TANF, and the Emergency Food Assistance Program, TEFAP. He used those funds for his personal benefit. Mr. Davis was sentenced to 32 years in prison for claiming his guilty 
As director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services, he instructed organizations to disperse half or all the funds before services were rendered. The case became famous here in the United States because it alleges that the Hall of Fame quarterback, Brett Favre, was given $1.1 million for services never rendered. I don't know if Brett Favre is guilty or innocent, but I really got struck by this John Davis character. In total, John Davis pleaded guilty to misappropriating $77 million of federal funds that was supposed to help the poor. He pleaded guilty to misappropriating $77 million. And he was in charge of the Department of Human Services. And it was Solomon who once said in Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. John Davis admittedly showed contempt to God for his actions. We have the exact opposite and the story of Elisha, who honors God with the love that he showed to this widow. Today, as we gather, I, I want to talk about this love. He didn't just help the widow in her time of need. He loved her. And I really want to key in on what it means to love. The poor. For example, Elisha affirms the widow's value. I wanted to say that his actions gave value to the woman, but let's be honest. Every human being has dignity, has value. You cannot give value to someone. You can only affirm their value. This woman was raising two young men while her husband was doing the work of God. Traditionally, it has always been assumed that this widow's husband was Obadiah, who was hiding prophets from the king and queen who were on a rampage to kill the prophets of God. Think to yourself, the wealthy that opposed Hitler and hid the Jews against the Nazis. Who knows what this woman, this woman and her husband had sacrificed financially and maybe even gave his own life for the work of God in Israel. This widow already had value. This widow already had worth. She already had dignity in the eyes of, the, of God. And Elisha just affirms her worth. 
by saying, let's work together. Let's, let's do this together. What do you have in your home? And the widow says, well, I've got oil. She must know how to sell oil because he gave her the task to gather oil and then turn and sell it so her sons wouldn't be sold into slavery. And God miraculously supplies the oil she now needed for the task to sell. She declared her faith by doing exactly what Elisha commanded her to do. And they became partners in bringing this stability back to her home. It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 7 of a Syrophoenician woman who approached Jesus. I, I find it funny that Mark puts this story right after the story where Jesus talks about what is clean and unclean in chapter 6. And you get to chapter 7 and you have a unclean Gentile woman who marches right up to Jesus and requests healing for her demon-possessed daughter. Now listen to this exchange in Mark chapter 7 because to our ears, I think, we're going to hear that Jesus doesn't give her worth, doesn't give her dignity. But just listen to it. Mark tells us the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus responds with, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She knew her worth. And I think Jesus did too, because she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. And Jesus replied, for such a response, you may go because the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and she found her child lying on the bed with the demon gone. Chapter 6 of Mark was for the disciples as they talked about what was clean and unclean. And I think chapter 7 was for the disciples as well. She may be a woman, and she may be a Gentile, but she still has worth, definitely more than a dog. I don't think the disciples knew that. I don't think they believed that, but now they do. And Jesus affirms her value by healing her daughter. I believe one way of oppressing the poor is denying dignity and value through toxic charity. When we help the poor, we must affirm their dignity and worth. We don't need to be making assumptions. We don't need to make people jump through hoops. Maybe we just need to love the poor like Jesus and Elisha. Now, the second way that I see Elisha truly loving the poor is by involving the community. He involved the community. I love this part of it. Elisha sends the widow 
to her neighbors for empty jars. He tells her not just to ask for one jar or maybe a tiny jar. He says, don't ask for a few. Go and ask for empty jars. And Elisha knew this community. He knew this community would step up and be generous to meet this woman's needs. The community loved her well. I've told this story before, but it warms my heart so much I've got to tell it again. Years and years ago, Jessica and I found ourselves on hard times. We found mold growing on our kitchen cabinets. And as we removed kitchen cabinet piece after kitchen cabinet piece, we found three leaks that had destroyed our cabinets all the way from the ceiling to the floorboard. The sudden cost hit us unexpectedly, but the generosity of this community kept us afloat. Several of you came and physically helped me rebuild. Some of you gave us gift cards for food. Some of us gave us money to help rebuild this thing. It took a community of love and generosity. And this widow experienced the same kind of warmth of community. She had a need, and they showed up. Mark's gospel also tells us a story, but this time about a community that did not show up. You can find this story in Mark chapter 5, and this is how it begins. When Jesus got up out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. We're told this man lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. I guess the community maybe tried to help. They bound this man with chains in the tombs. But the power of the demons inside him were too strong, and he broke out. The whole situation to me sounds terrifying. I'm trying to sit here and, and think about the sounds in the middle of the night as I try to sleep. The sounds of this man screaming. The sounds of him taking rocks to his flesh. But I'm also filled with compassion. This isn't the life that he wanted for himself. This isn't what he wanted to be when he grew up. This isn't the life his family wanted for him. Maybe he was married. Maybe his kids were just as t 
terrified. Jesus heals this man, sends the demons into some pigs nearby. The town came out to see and to hear what had happened. And we're told in Mark chapter 5 that they saw the man sitting in his right mind. They saw him. And if this was a good community, they would throw a potluck. <laughs> They'd celebrate. If this was a good community, they would embrace Jesus. We don't have to hear these cries anymore. Maybe his mother would fall down and anoint Jesus' feet. But no, we are told that they drove Jesus out of their region, begged him to leave. They had just witnessed the incredible power of God and the wholeness brought to this man, and they asked Jesus to leave. Church, we have got to be a community that not only loves the poor, but loves the poor as a community, affirming value and worth and loving with all of our hands together. I've got one more thought for you this morning that I think is important. It's when the widow is instructed to go and shut her door. It's a picture of giving God the glory that God deserves. Elisha didn't make a spectacle out of generosity. He tells her to go home with all these jars them and we live in a culture of look what i can do right look what i can do but this neighbor who gave her the biggest jar this neighbor who gave her the most jars we don't know we don't know nobody got to watch the only people that mattered were the poor. And God received glory. It wasn't for Elisha. It wasn't for the community. It was for this widow. And we're told Jesus gives similar instructions about giving to the needy. We're told in Matthew chapter 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven, he said. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they will have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, if you give to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy. And notice, Jesus says to do it privately. 
Giving is not suggested, it's expected. Let's give in such a way that gives the glory to God that it can just be between the poor and God. This was a difficult week for me. I've been uh, troubled in my spirit a bit. Gina passed away. Some of you know Gina as the woman who lived in our woods. But those who got to know Gina knew she had cancer. And she had an addiction that kept her from being able to have stable housing. As a community, we fed her. We tried to keep her warm, offered her assistance, and ultimately cancer took her life. And as I reflect, I hope we loved her well. I bring this up not as a way to bring spotlight on this community, but to bring a spotlight on her. I desperately want to be a community that could be a place of transformation. That whoever meets our community through the power of God, their lives are changed. In order to accomplish this goal, we've got to love people well. We have to affirm dignity. We have to involve ourselves as a community. And ultimately, we have to do it in such a way that brings glory to God. For some of you, maybe hearing this story of Gina might prompt you to open your eyes to those who enter our community. For some of you, who knew her as the woman who lived in the woods. Let's give her dignity by speaking her name. And for those who loved her well, let's give glory to God. And what a transition to communion. Because, just like Gina, we all come to a place in our lives where we need to make decisions. And though some of us are wealthy and some of us are poor, we all come to the table on the same level. Though some of us are older and some of us are younger, we all come to the table on an equal level. We get the same amount of bread. We get the same amount of juice because there's no favoritism in the kingdom of God. I need God's mercy. I need God's grace just as much as you do. And so let's meditate on this and ask God to change our hearts for the poor and for the community around us.
We have three stations set up. I encourage you to go to one of these stations, take the cups. The juice is on the top, the bread is on the bottom, and we'll take communion together as Dustin instructs us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father, I'm just so grateful for the story of this widow. Grateful that you have put this on our hearts. We'll always have the poor among us, Lord. And so I just ask that we can have your eyes, that we can see as you see, that we can love as you love. Father, we know that this is possible through the resurrection power of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we come with equal hearts and souls to your table, I pray that your sacrifice will unite us as a body of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.